The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, my name is Connie Bateman, and welcome to the ACB community event called Stars, Staterooms, and Stowaways. That is the title of the book that was written by our special guest today, Gary Gladding. Is Gary here? Yes, I am. Oh, hi, Gary. Hello, Connie. How are you? <laughs> How, fine. How are other than having um, a few issues getting in? I'm fine. <laughs> yes. I tried to get on my computer and as yes, usual. Yes, I have the same troubles. But anyway, yes, we're both yeah. now. Yes. Well, we're here. And that's the main thing. So the way it's going to work today is I am going to briefly tell everyone how I met Gary. And then I'm going to introduce him and then I'm going to ask him a few questions uh, so we can get to know who he is and get to know a little bit about him. Then I'll ask him to read a, a chapter from his book, which he recently put in an audio format. Then I'll ask him a couple more questions. Then I'll ask him to read another chapter out of his book and then we'll open it up for questions. Holly, um, I would like to thank you for hosting the meeting today, the, my friend Holly. Holly, how many people do we have on the call today at this point? Just, I'm just curious. Do you know? This Holly, is, are you there? This is Valerie. We have 20. You have 20? 20? 20. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Thank you, Valerie. All right. I would like to thank, is Holly hosting the meeting? Yes, I am. I was making okay. some changes in something when you when you called me. I'm not that fast. Sorry about that. Okay. Thank you, Holly, for your uh, for hosting the meeting, and thank you, Joe Green, for streaming this call on ACB Media Five. So, just briefly, the way I met Gary, my uh, my husband Ron and I were on a cruise uh, with Norwegian Cruise Lines. Uh, we went, uh, we sailed on a ship called the Norwegian Jade, and Gary was our cruise director. And I remember hearing the announcements in all these different languages because this was a Mediterranean cruise. So we went to, uh, we started in Venice and uh, we went to Greece and Turkey and I spent a little time in Italy. And I remember hearing all these announcements in all these different languages, and we thought it was a recording. But I talked to a crew member and I said, does that guy really speak all those languages? And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, he does. He's really brilliant. You can get to know him. So we went, we met, first met Gary at what they call the coffee chat. And it was an opportunity for the passengers to talk to Gary and ask questions and get to know him a little bit better. And then we next got to see him when he did a presentation on his book, stars staterooms and stowaways and we're going to talk about that today um he um was our cruise director and he had a lot of experience being a cruise director and so what i'm going to do is ask him some questions about his background so we can get to know him so um thank you gary for your willingness to take time out of your schedule to to come and be on this call today. I know that you have to feed the animals about three times a day and that keeps you busy and you're working on your manuscripts. So uh, welcome to the call, Gary. 
Thank you very much. And thank you to everyone who's interested in listening to this program. I hope uh, that you'll find answers to your questions and be entertained by uh, what I'm about to tell you. Okay. So let's start with some questions. Um, Gary, tell us about, tell us about, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, where did you grow up? And then where do you do? Where do you live now? So tell us a little bit about your family background, where you grew up and, and how you ended up in Italy. Well, it's, it's a very, very long and convoluted story, but just to keep it, it quick, uh, my family uh, moved to the United States. I was born near Philadelphia, and then uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, a series of scholarships and ended up in Switzerland, finishing up my, my studies in uh, a town called Lausanne, which is just down the lake from Geneva. And so I finished my schooling in French, uh, but in Switzerland, it was quite frustrating <laughs> for someone who um, had only really studied Latin and, and English at school. Uh, children that were four years old were speaking German, Swiss German, French, Italian, Spanish, English, and flawlessly, you know, just a, an inspiration, I suppose, would be probably a better word than a frustration, but they just did it so, so easily. And of course, I had to make quite an effort to learn all the languages, but um, they've certainly kept me in good stead. Uh, from there, uh, I was discovered by Marlena Dietrich. Uh, it's a long story that it's in, in one of my books. But anyway, Marlene Dietrich had introduced me. I was planning to become a classical singer and a classical concert pianist. That's what I was in Switzerland for, to finish up my musical studies. I got my master's degree there as well. But she thought she was a friend of the family that was sponsoring me. She thought that it would be um, more lucrative financially if I were to go into popular music. And uh, so she arranged an audition for me at the Paris Lido, uh, which I was taken immediately. They were looking for someone with classical training, but they didn't need me for the Paris show. That was completely uh, fully cast. They needed me for the Las Vegas show. So I went literally from a, a student of, of um, classical music to singing in Las Vegas <laughs> at the end of the golden era of Vegas. This was in 19... 77, I believe. Yes, 77. And, uh, and then after a year there, I was transferred back to the Paris Leader where they needed a new star of the show. I, I stayed there for three years. I did television shows. I was in a James Bond film. I did uh, one concert uh, um, contract. Uh, I also won some contests for the composing that I was doing. Uh, it was a very rewarding time. And then I was offered a contract just to, to, uh, to be a, an entertainer on a cruise ship during the world cruise because they needed someone, you know, with the different languages and an international repertoire. And so I went on board. And um, before the end of the cruise, they had fired the cruise director and hired me. So <laughs> it just sort of started uh, a whole new chapter in my life. And that's as concise as I could be. Okay, uh, you already partly answered question number two, but we can continue on this. Uh, tell us about your background as a uh, professionally trained musician. And actually, at what point in your life 
did you realize that you were musically gifted? And then how did you make the transition from being a classically trained musician to um, a performer to performing okay. in Las Vegas? I, um, I wanted to be a doctor when I was young. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to be able to help people. That was always a, a driving thing in my life. Uh, and I, I, I was, without being braggadocious, I was very good at my schooling. I, I jumped several uh, grades, hence the scholarships that I was uh, given. But um, I realized very quickly, uh, and people around me realized that um, I was able to play a variety of instruments without really much training. Uh, and then I got a teacher who understood the frustration that I had being the, uh, I was in my early teens uh, and starting out with reading music and that sort of thing. And uh, she found pieces for me that would be encouraging and not things that would make me feel humiliated that maybe a five-year-old would start out with. And um, she called my mother and said to her, look, I, uh, I'll only charge you for you know, the one hour lesson. But she said, your son has a, a, a great musical talent. I'm going to give him the last lesson. And it may last two hours, three hours, four hours, because I really want to develop his talent. And she said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a call before he leaves my studio so that you know more or less when he should be home. And uh, that woman was absolutely uh, life changing for me. Uh, so within two years of studying with her, I was giving concerts. I was playing in Philadelphia. I was playing um, concerts everywhere, really. She was really quite amazing. And I, I won a full scholarship for university and then I, the scholarship in Switzerland. Uh, as I said, my, my uh, desire was to, to go into classical music. But then, as I explained, Malena Dietrich was a, a close family friend of the people who were in charge of supervising my scholarship in Switzerland. And um, she just thought, well, if you want classical music, that's fine, but you're not going to make any money of it. Even if you make it to the top, it doesn't pay anywhere near what popular music was. And at my age, being young, you're not really worried about what money you're going to make. You want satisfaction. But the money in Las Vegas was just so ridiculously good. Uh, I thought, well, I'll, I'll take the job. And I'll carry on and try to get my doctorate at the University of Las Vegas uh, of Nevada. And um, when I got out there, I didn't realize it, but we were doing two shows a night, uh, five days a week and three shows a night for the other two days. So, you know, you were finishing up. A third show didn't start till about three in the morning, three thirty in the morning. So there was no way that I could really attend university in those conditions. And being one of the stars of the show, I, I didn't have any days off. You literally work seven days a week. So after a year, I was sent back to Paris. And then by that point, it was, you know, you kind of uh, swept along like a tidal wave. And one thing led into another. I was doing recordings. I was working on the television, uh, doing films, a, a, a wide variety of experiences. So the, the classical music, although it stayed in my heart, I, and when I was working on ships, I would give full classical concerts. Huh? So I, I kept that up, but I was definitely making money from the popular end of music. So I, I just stayed in that, really. So to add to this question, 
what kind of music did you perform in, in Las Vegas? Well, as I said, I was hired because of my uh, background. One of the tableaus, you know, one of the, they had these different scenes. One, I had to play the Emperor of Japan. And uh, so I was singing a sort of opera aria, but in Japanese. And the whole idea was I was coming across this beautiful uh, lily pad uh, lagoon and all these dancers around with, uh, you know, the Japanese umbrellas and things. And then all of a sudden, a tidal wave comes and wipes away the village. And then from the depths come up these people dancing. It was already Las Vegas. That was one of the numbers. Another one during the ice skating number, I played um, a Londoner in a um, bowler hat and uh, sang A Foggy Day in London Town, you know, an old Gershwin tune. Uh, a wide variety of things. They, they used a lot of the um, American uh, songbook, you know, the, the Gershwin tunes, the Cole Porter, uh, that sort of thing, because they were very popular. And a lot of them had been translated into a variety of languages. So my language skills were also um, helpful. Okay. Um, my next question is, how did you become interested in rescuing animals? And what animals have you rescued recently? Because I know you have an animal sanctuary in Italy. So how did you become interested in doing that? Uh, well, uh, I, I think you're either born an animal person or not. My mother and father had um, six children in eight years. So my mother was, uh, back then, I was born in 1956, um, what you Americans call diapers. Um, you know, they were the old cotton type. I think it was cotton, you know, big, uh, heavy things. So she was constantly washing them and constantly hanging them out because they, with that many children, they didn't have the money, I guess, for a dryer if they even had dryers back in the 50s. I don't know. Um, and my mother used to take the youngest one out and sort of put, put that child in the, the basket of clothes that she was hanging up so you couldn't get out. It was a sort of portable playpen. But I always managed to escape. Uh, I would crawl over to the neighbors where they had a Doberman. And the Doberman hated everyone. It was a guard dog. And she was angry with the world. But she loved me. I was her puppy. And I used to crawl over to her and I'd fall asleep in between her four paws. And... Every time my mother would come to get me, the dog would bare her teeth and growl at my mother. So my mother had to wait until I woke up and crawled back home. And the dog was fine when I left. You know, she just licked me on the face. And I think I just grew up loving animals of all types. Uh, being on the cruise ships at the time, and I started in 1985 cruising, um, the ports... I would say you would see in 90% of them easily, even in American ports, you would find a lot of stray dogs and cats, and they always looked emaciated. They always looked um, in, in poor health. And so I used to take food from the kitchen. I would get friendly with the, the chef and say, look, don't throw the food out or don't throw it overboard. I'll come after the, the last show or when I'm finished my work, and I'll come and a group of us got together and we would debone all the, the leftovers. And the next day in the port, I'd go out and feed the strays. And if they were sick, I'd try to capture them and take them to a local vet or whatever. 
Um, and so I suppose it really just was that. And then something that was really life-changing is I was on an excursion in Tasmania and we went out to a rescue center where they had all sorts of marsupials um, and they were all orphans. The mothers had been killed uh, in the, uh, the countryside when it was dark and the babies were found alive in the, the dead mother's pouches. So they would rescue the babies and these blessed women, they were just saints as far as I'm concerned. They used to have these slings that they would wear around their neck and the marsupial babies are born absolutely bald and they have to have skin next to their skin because the mother's pouch is just bare skin and that's what they need. So these women would wear these pouches, one on each side of them, and then they would wear like a very heavy knitted sweater over the top of it, very baggy. And the babies, the, the cutout of the inside of the sling would allow the baby's naked skin to touch the woman's naked skin so that they felt like they were uh, inside the, uh, the real mother's pouch. And I thought to myself, God bless these women. They, they really are just so inspirational. And so I, I thought to myself at the time uh, I was living in France, I thought, I'm going to put away 10 francs a week. And at the end of whenever, uh, I'm going to try to do something for animals. One day I'm going to have an animal sanctuary. And when I moved to Italy, that's what I was able to do because I was working in the office for Costa Cruise Lines for eight years as the head of entertainment. And so the animals I was able to bring home uh, just came to the sanctuary. Okay. So where is, where is your animal sanctuary located and what animals have you rescued recently? Uh, if you've got uh, an idea of uh, the Italian geography, you know, the boot, um, Genoa would be just at the top left part of the boot going toward France. It's just in that curve where, where the boot starts to go down the leg. Uh, and I'm about 35 kilometers with a car from Genoa, the port of Genoa. But as the crow flies, it's only 10 kilometers in a straight line from, uh, from the sea. It's up in the mountains because we need a lot of ground for the animals. And, uh, you know, any, in any country, if you buy a, a waterfront property, it costs a lot more. So moving into the mountains, I mean, we're only 10, mile, 10 kilometers inland. And we're already at 750 meters. I think it's about 2,500 uh, feet or something like that. Um, so it's really quite high, you know. It really goes up very, very quickly. Um, we rescued donkeys because the females, they were in here in Italy, in the northern part in particular, they eat donkeys. Uh, they make them into sausages, mortadella sausages. And um, we saw these donkeys that, that look very um, shabby. And they were just put in a, in a field and not really looked after, just they were waiting to be sent to the slaughterhouse. And uh, we found out about this and found that there was a, a law in Italy where you cannot slaughter a, a pregnant animal. And two of the, the, the two females were actually pregnant. So uh, a friend of mine is a lawyer and he called the man and said that he was going to uh, sue this man for doing that. It was quite illegal. Uh, I'm very friendly with the local vets because they are very supportive of the charity that I run. 
And they called the man and said the same thing, that they were going to call the local authorities and have him arrested. So the man was quite frightened and sold us the, the donkeys, uh, literally at, at the price that he had paid for them. So he didn't make a cent. And both the lawyer and the vet said, if you're ever caught tra uh, trading in animals again, we'll make sure that you're shut down. So the, the uh, donkeys, there were four of them at the time. The two girls arrived and about three months later, both had babies. Uh, so that made six. Uh, we have cats from everywhere. Um, oddly enough, there's no dogs because up here in the, in, the, um, in, in the mountains and in the countryside, the Italians either have hunting dogs, which they look after because of the hunting season. They want to make sure that they're in good shape. The guard dogs, so once again, they're, they're kept in good shape. Or the lap dogs, you know, the expensive dogs that are sort of uh, kept inside. So you don't find uh, dogs up here in, in the mountains that are that are not looked after. Um, chickens, geese, ducks, turkeys. Oddly enough, the Italians, before the, the COVID lockdown, they used to give chicks or ducklings to their children at Easter time. Now, that's fine if you've got a big property and you realize that these little cute animals are going to grow into big uh, animals. You know, a little chicken grow into a, a cockerel rooster uh, that's going to wake up everyone in the morning and he's going to pick up the carpet and he's going to, you know, do his business everywhere. So usually after Easter, we get a, a lot of full-grown geese and ducks and uh, chickens that are just dropped off. Sometimes they don't even ask or ring the bell or anything. They literally just throw them over the, the fence and, and assume we're going to find them. Mm. Uh, we've got um, goats. Once again, animals that are raised to, to be slaughtered here. So we've got some that, are, that escaped. Um, and, and then there's all the wild animals. It, uh, I think in the United States, you're having as bad a time with the weather as we are. We've had two and a half months of drought wildfires everywhere it's extremely dangerous and of course when there's no water there's nothing for the animals to eat in the woods so i'm feeding now i guess about 35 wild boar that come every night uh, in three sittings uh, there's the foxes there's badgers uh there's deer um yeah just uh, unfortunately the italian government um in reintroduced wolves that had been eliminated a couple hundred years ago. Uh, and they're so hungry, they were attacking some people in the woods the other day. So we've got to lock everyone up at night to make sure that it's safe for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that's, that's wonderful. At this point, let's take a little break. And are you, are you prepared to read a chapter out of your book? Yes, I think the, the first of all, I think the important thing to mention to everyone is uh, I don't get a penny from the sales of the book, either the hard oh, copies right. of the book or the uh, the audio version. All of it goes directly to the Animal Sanctuary's bank account. So lit, there's no uh, you know fees for anyone running it. I run it, uh, and uh, a family member runs it. So you know it's 100% goes to it. We don't take anything out of it. You had asked me to read one about one of the animals that we actually rescued when we were working on, on the cruise ships. I and think I'll it was about the, the kitten in the bathroom. Yes. We, have a lot, we have a lot of animal lovers and dog 
uh, guide dog, well, dog handlers on this call and a lot of cat lovers and dog lovers. And so I thought it would be kind of nice to hear that chapter about oh, the, the, well, the, the uh, bathroom. Before I start, this one uh, took place when the Soviet Union was still very active. All right. It's called Good Things Come in Small Packages. For the first 11 years of my cruising career, I was part of a song and dance double act known as Gladding and Allen. Peter Allen was a consummate dancer with a very good singing voice who had worked with me at the Paris Lido. While I am a singer slash pianist with basic dance skills. When the Lido created a touring troupe to publicize their Paris and Las Vegas shows around the world, the producers created specific numbers for us to perform to show off our well-matched talents. After four years of traveling the globe as the headliners of that review show, we accepted an offer to perform a two-man show on a French cruise ship. Their first contact and contract was to become the start of a whole new career for both of us and the beginning of our international animal welfare work at sea. Within a few years, I had become a cruise director, but also continued to work as part of the Gladding and Allen duo. This extra work meant that I could no longer wander ashore as often as before, so my involvement in stray animal feeding was often reduced to deboning meat and fish leftovers and tearing them into bite-sized pieces. Whenever time permitted, I accompanied Peter on his humanitarian work of feeding the hungry cats and dogs that populated most of the big ports in the world. On the day we visited Yalta, which is in Ukraine, my workload kept me imprisoned in my small but comfortable office. On that cruise, we had a guest entertainer called Nita Doval, who was a Czechoslovakian countess who spoke and sang flawlessly in eight languages. She was also an animal lover and had already rescued a large number of weak and sick strays. This particular afternoon, she and Peter made their way down the gangway, carrying heavily laden plastic bags in each hand. Neat had already bribed the Soviet customs officials earlier that day, so they glumly waved her and Peter through the checkpoint. Two hours later, I returned to my cabin to get some paperwork and found a note on the bed saying, whatever you do, don't go into the bathroom. It was signed by Peter. Now, if you had been in my place, what would you have done? Well, exactly. I opened the bathroom door before you could count to three. There I saw the most precious little ginger kitten looking up at me with one eye open, the other caked over with infection. My heart melted. I gently scooped him up and he started to purr loudly as he rubbed his tiny face against the palm of my hand. Just then, I heard the cabin door open and close with a bang. Oh my God, Nita, he's found the kitten, Peter blurted out breathlessly. I can explain everything, he ventured as he entered the bathroom. There's no need to, I replied. Little Yalta here has already told me everything there is to know. The next half hour was spent washing him in warm, soapy water and trying to pick all the fleas out of his matted fur. Once that was done, we bathed his bad eye in chamomile. The hard crust that had formed fell away, but we soon realized that the eyeball itself was no longer in the socket. The infection must have burst his eye, leaving just an open wound. At the next port, where we were sure to find a vet, we smuggled Yalta ashore in his, for his injections, medicine, and health certificates, then stuck him back on board in the same way. 
With his major health concerns taken care of, he started to fill out a bit, thanks to a soft-hearted chef in the main galley with a phenomenal memory. Each evening in the restaurant, our waiter would take the order and then ask what Signor Gatto, Mr. Cat in Italian, would like. Being a vegetarian myself, I wasn't sure what to order, but I ordered what food I thought a cat might enjoy. More often than not, a completely different dish was brought out in a little Tupperware container with a note from the chef saying, Signor Gatto had lamb last night, so I've given him some turkey tonight. Or, today's a fish, it's not a fresh, it's frozen. So I've wrapped up some delicious chicken for him. As Yolta grew bigger and stronger, he also grew more playful. His favorite game was playing the angry cat. He never scratched or hissed, even in jest, but just hunched up his back like the cats do on Halloween cards and walked slowly sideways toward his victim. His tail would be straight as a rod and his head lowered with his single eye fixed in mock angry stares. If one didn't know what a sweet-natured feline he was, this might have been quite frightening. Yalta settled incredibly well into his new life at sea and had many aunts and uncles who regularly came to play with him during their work breaks. Soon only a few days remained before the end of our contract, so we requisitioned a large cardboard box to carry Yalta home in when the time came. Air holes were made and small plastic dishes found for his food and water during the trip. One evening after our gala evening performance, we were both about to go to bed when the emergency alarm sound went off. We both froze, waiting anxiously for the announcement to tell us exactly what kind of danger we were in. Fire! Fire! All crew to their emergency stations immediately, came the voice over the ship's loudspeakers. I grabbed my bathrobe and life jacket and headed for the door, since I would be needed immediately on the bridge. Peter's emergency duties were to help the passengers into their life vests and keep everyone calm, so he grabbed his life vest and then stopped. What about Yalta? He asked with a frightened look in his eyes. Just put him into his box and take him with you. Leave everything else here and get up to the lifeboats as quickly as you can, I replied as I exited the cabin. When I reached the bridge, the captain told me that the back decks were on fire and that due to the heavy smoke, our fire squad had not yet managed to extinguish the blaze. To make matters worse, Several canisters of gas had been taken on board the previous day for some welding work that needed to be done. These gas bottles were on the deck where the fire was raging. The captain very bluntly told me that unless the fire could be brought under control in the next few minutes, the ship would explode. I made the required tannoy announcements, calmly asking the passengers to assemble at their lifeboat stations, don the life jackets. Once I had done all I could do, I went out onto the wing of the bridge to check that my orders had been carried out quickly, efficiently, and serenely one deck below. It was a beautiful, warm, starry night, so this unexpected tragedy seemed quite out of place. Everyone had reacted magnificently. No shouting, no pushing, no panic whatsoever. From my vantage point, I spotted Peter as he helped the guests on with their life jackets. As hard as I strained my eyes, I couldn't see Yalta's cardboard box anywhere. I knew Peter would never have left him in the cabin, but couldn't imagine where he was. All of a sudden, my attention was drawn to an elderly lady turning around rather brusquely with an indignant look on her face. She said something sharply to a younger woman, then, oddly, 
They both burst out laughing. The younger woman raised her nightgown slightly to reveal the cardboard box straddled between her feet. I later found out that Yalta had been attracted by all the movement outside his box and stretched his little paw through one of the air holes, grabbing the passing pajamas and nightdresses, much to the surprise of those wearing them. Since I have lived to tell this tale, you will have deduced that the fire was eventually put out and we returned home safely at the end of our contract as planned. Yalta was greeted with the usual sniffing of the hindquarters by his curious but friendly feline brothers and sisters, and was fully accepted as a member of the family within days. He soon grew into a robust but tender-hearted ginger Tom. Before he was healthy enough to be neutered, he mated with a wildcat living in the woodshed behind our house. One day he came into the kitchen with a very weak little kitten in his mouth. We gave her some food and put her in a basket near the radiator to keep her warm. Yota seemed pleased with this arrangement, but his insistent meowing and scratching at the front door indicated he wanted to go out. Once outside, he kept crying and turning around to look at us. He evidently wanted us to follow him. He led us through the garden to the woodpile, where we found his mate and her other kittens all dead. We gathered them up and took them all and the surviving kitten to the vet right away. He confirmed that the mother cat had inadvertently killed herself and her litter minus one by bringing home a poisoned mouse for them to eat. The vet treated Yalta's daughter successfully, and from that day on, they were inseparable. Yalta's paternal slash maternal instincts went as far as raising a pair of orphan ducklings. It was comical watching him groom them like kittens, or when they happily fell asleep against his soft, furry belly when tired. This unlikely trio drifted apart only when the ducklings were old enough to start preening themselves. After all Yalta's loving attention, they repaid the favor by attempting to groom him duck style, that is, pulling at his fur as they pulled at their loose feathers. This was not a pleasant experience for a long-haired cat. So Yalta soon gave his adopted offspring the extra space any wise parent gives a badly behaved pubescent teenager. As the years went by and some of the older cats passed away, Yalta proudly became the highly respected and dearly loved elder of the pack. His incredible adventure lasted for 16 years and took him from the poverty of a Black Sea port in the former Soviet Union to a luxury cruise ship, into a French manor, and finally to a villa in the mountains of northern Italy. Throughout his life, he was greatly loved by all his two- and four-legged family and is still sorely missed by us all. That was wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Holly, can we have a time check, please? Holly? Where's Holly? Hello? It, it's, it's 10 of 44 here. Okay. I'm going to skip it's, over. It's 44 after the hour, my dear. So how much time do we have left? Like 15 minutes or so? 14 or 15 minutes, yes. Okay, I'm going to skip a couple of questions here. And hmm. tell us, um, who were some of the celebrities you interviewed on Cruise Lines, Gary? Well, uh I, I don't know the age of the people listening in, but, uh, you know, some of the, they were really the stars of um, the golden era of Hollywood. I mean, Ginger Rogers, 
uh, Shirley MacLaine, uh, Eve Arden, George Murphy, uh, gosh, just, just to think of a few, uh, Esther Williams, uh, Brenda Vaccaro, Oh, really, Fred McMurray, his wife, June Haver. Um, I played bridge with um, one of the, uh, uh, oh gosh, what was her name now? Uh, anyway, not, not to worry, I, I'll, I'll think of it later. It, just really, basically, all the big stars, Helen O'Connell, uh, all the big band stars, Herb Jeffries, uh, Connie Haynes. So really the top of, of the people from, from the, the golden era of Hollywood. Okay, wonderful. Um, before we open it up for questions, um, there are a couple more I want to ask you. So you wrote a second book. Uh, what was the name of the second book? Uh, there's always room for one more. Are you? Okay, so you put the first book in audio. Yes. Are you considering putting the second book in audio? Uh, hopefully, yes, yes, yes. We hope it's so. <laughs> yeah, I think for animal lovers, uh, it, it's definitely um, it, it's a, an enjoyable book. There's no sad stories at all. I only tell the happy parts. It's, it's all uh, like the first one, the anecdotes. So it's anywhere from two pages to maybe five or six at the very most. The books that you can pick up and put down very easily. There's no... Um, linking theme through it. I mean, you don't have to say, oh, was Mary in love with Joe or was she in love with John? Oh, no, John went off with Susan. It's nothing like that. You don't have to remember any plot. You can pick up the book, read two chapters, and then I'll pick it up for eight months and, and start on chapter three, and you're absolutely fine. Okay, wonderful. All right. Well, Holly, let's open it up for questions now. I, so let's see I if we have, have a question. Can I ask a question before they ask a question? Since I can, where do you get the book uh, in Audible? I have been spending the whole morning trying to find it. Uh, you can get it on the Walmart Kobo uh, website. Mm -hmm. uh, you can get it on, uh, there's one called, I don't know if it's Scribd or Scribd, C R S C R I B D. Mm hmm. Uh, and Connie, where did you where did you read it? Do you remember? Okay, so if you have an iPhone, the phone comes with a books app. Yes. So you you can actually download it on the books app. Um, you have to use punctuation marks. So the way I searched for it when I dictated was I I, I dictated stars comma staterooms comma and stowaways, and it it came up, and then I was able to download it on the books app. Outstanding. Thank you so much. Okay, the first person we have up here is Diane Scalzi. Go ahead, Diane. Yeah, um, so, sounds to me like we might have um, movie material in this book, uh, Gary. I, I wonder if you had ever thought about that. Also, what um, I guess that you sing, but what instruments do you play? Uh, yeah, uh, I, piano. Uh, organ, guitar, uh, clarinet, accordion, uh, Celtic harp, saxophone, alto saxophone, um, yeah, fife. <laughs> wow. My goodness. I didn't know you played <laughs> no, all those I mean, when you, you, Connie, you've studied music. You know what it's like. You, you have to learn a lot of instruments. 
uh, when you go for a musical degree, you know, all with various degrees of, of proficiency. But I, I'm a concert pianist, so I know what I'm doing at the keyboard. That's my main one. Okay, thank you. I, I I wondered if you could maybe sing us a few notes, but maybe I shouldn't cheat and ask a second. Uh, you know, if you go onto my website, just type in Gary Gladding uh, on Google, and it'll come up. It, it, it's, I've got a website, and there's lots of songs. One of my favorite ones, it's an, it's an English song. It was actually an Italian song that uh, was translated in English. It's You Don't Have to Say You Love Me, and it's, um, it's beautiful. It's... Um, Oh, that's when I said I needed you, you said you would always stay. Wasn't me who saved you. There you go. Yes, beautiful. Dusty Springfield saying (laughs) Thank you so much. How do you you spell your last name? G-L-A-D, like the word glad, I-N-G. It's oh, actually an old Norwegian name that means people that are happy. Oh, wonderful. It should be pronounced Gulodding. Um, Leslie, go ahead. Um, hi, Gary. Uh, I, I'm, uh, when you spoke with our, our chapter last month, you mentioned that there was, I think it was a goat and a Deer. Oh yes, and, <laughs> she's, she's in love with the deer. Yes, and I was wondering how. <laughs> Wait a minute, I, I, you're, the line's not good. That I didn't hear the question. Could you repeat it, please? Oh, that I was wondering how how that relationship was. <laughs> well, yes, um, she gets rather flushed when I ask her about it, so I'm assuming that there, there's still a little bit of a tryst going on in the woods. <laughs> I thought that was great. That was- oh, it's, it's hilarious. I, I, I called Peter outside. I said, I don't know if I've got sunstroke or what's going on, but I said, I've never seen it. She ran, and she's quite a big girl, and she ran up the, up the stairs, and the two of them, nose to nose, and he stood there for about five minutes, sort of rubbing his head on her face. I thought, well, this is this is not a first encounter, obviously. You know, this is when Julia died. <laughs> Who needs a balcony when you've got stairs, right? Yes. Wow. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> can I take the next one? Adele? Adele? Unmute adults. Uh oh. Oh, she's lowered her hand. Okay. Calandra, go ahead. Hey, Gary. It's a nice presentation, and I love your, your book that you have read. Um, it's fascinating. Thank but you very much. You, you're welcome. And when you give me books, on audio, or if you ever do, are you going to put them on NLS Bard, where okay. all of this can live? Okay, I better explain to Gary what NLS Bard is. NLS stands for National Library Service, and it was established by the Library of Congress. And what it is is it's it's the talking book library, the National Talking Book Library Service. Bard stands for Braille and Audio Reading Downloads. 
Mm-hmm. So a lot of so the book started out on these talking book records. Remember the records? Yes. <laughs> and then, then and then they went to cassettes. And then now they are available in digital formats, either on digital cartridges or we can download them on our phones or on our digital devices. And it's 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 like any library. It's a free reading service, so we can borrow books from the library. Mm-hmm. And they 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 produce audio and braille books. So um, I think it's Calandra. I think it's too soon to do that right now because he just put the book in audio format recently. What they've been doing in recent years is taking books that are audio books that are commercially available and adapting them for National Library Service so that we can download them on our digital devices. So that's what she's asking about. Do you think that yeah, might be- I was asking if they were going to eventually do that, you know, when the time came? Yes, I, I mean, I'm open to that. I, I'm afraid I am a digital idiot. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a typical animal of my generation. I struggle with technology. I'm the type that I'm not uh, too uh, pompous to ask, uh, you know, a four or five year old how to use my, my gadgets yeah. because I'm, I'm not clever enough to do an awful lot of these things. So uh, when the time comes, so, have you ran into any raccoons or anything when you were doing rescue, animal rescue? Have you ever encountered any type of raccoon or squirrel or anything? Uh, we don't have raccoons in Italy, but squirrels, yes. Uh, one of the squirrels, actually, unfortunately, one of the cats uh, brought it in in his mouth and I thought it was dead. And when the cat put it down on the on the carpet, uh, it got up and ran. <laughs> and so we had to we were chasing it around around the house. Um, it actually there's a standard lamp. I don't know if you know what that is. It's you know the type that's like a tree. It's, it's got three legs and then a big long stalk, and then the the, the light is at the top of it. And it ran up that like it was a tree. <laughs> so that's the only way we could actually catch it with a you know a, a, a cat a, a cat. Um, Carrying cages. And I took it outside and I took it way into the woods so, so that you know, the cats wouldn't be able to get it. Uh, um, but the squirrels over here, they're not okay. like yeah, American thank squirrels. You. They're little, okay. yeah. um, thank you. very small. And we red. only have five minutes left, sweetie. Okay, okay so, so let's, let's take one more question. We don't have any hands up, so put them up, guys. One more question. We can take one more. Adele is here. Okay, oh, Adele, hey. go ahead. I finally figured out what I did wrong. <laughs> Hi, Gary. Um, I wanted to ask you, what venues in Las Vegas did you perform at? Uh, I was at the at the time. The Stardust Hotel was the home for the Lido show, so I was oh, there. Yeah. The producer was named Don Arden, and he also opened the MGM. It was the same. Uh, producers that did the show, although it wasn't the Lido name down at the MGM. Right. Okay. So those names are familiar to me. Uh, to uh, give you an I'm idea, to... uh, uh-huh. Siegfried and Roy were just starting out when I was there. <laughs> ah, okay. I was, I was 21, though, so. Oh. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I actually did see them. I'm sorry that. Uh, I was never able to see you perform because it sounds like you're very, very talented and your uh, your partner 
Peter? Was yes, it? Peter. Yeah. Um, do you perform at all anywhere now, or are you retired? Uh, no, I'm not retired. Um, right now, it, I, I had to take some time off. Uh, unfortunately, there were some serious medical problems in the family that had to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. So when mm-hmm. COVID hit the cruising industry um, and ships weren't moving, when they started to get back, I, I had to tell the company I was working as head of entertainment for MSC Cruises. I said that I wouldn't be able to to start up with them. So what I'm doing right now is to be able to work from home I'm doing um, a, a lot of consultancy work. But as far as singing, if I ever go back on board as, as a cruise director again, you know, I, I, I perform regularly. Uh, I, I never, I, when you learn to sing correctly, you don't abuse your voice. So you can sing uh, at 80 like you did at 20. Okay. Well, I hope you post it on your website. Uh, well, if, if you go onto the website now, you'll be able to hear me singing a lot of songs. Oh, great. And what is your website? Again? Uh, if you just go to Google, the easiest thing is go- just type Gary Gladding in Google and you'll see my website comes up the first thing. Wonderful. Great. Okay. Thank you, Gary. Thanks, Thanks Adele. Adele. Do we have any other hands? Uh, not at this time. Okay. Well, I would like to thank Holly for hosting this meeting. I would like to thank Joe Green for streaming this um, call on ACB Media Live. And Gary, thank you very much for, for coming and being our special guest and, and, and uh, allowing us to get to know you uh, better. And, um, thank you to you, Connie, for organizing everything and, and for being the, uh, the interviewer. You've done an excellent job. Well done. Thank you. Yes, you have, Connie. did a great job. Well done. Thank you. So everyone, please, I encourage you to download his, the audio version of his book, Stars, Staterooms, and Stowaways, and listen to it. Gary narrates it himself. Oh, so that makes it, yeah, so it's that makes it um, audio. very personal, very authentic. And so please listen to it. It's wonderful. Okay. So thank you, everyone, for coming today. And have a great weekend. And thank, thank you again, Gary. And we'll be in touch.